This is episode 101 with Joe Holly. Welcome to the Athletic Mindset. I'm your host, Corey Camp, former Division I swimmer, forever athlete, and personal performance coach. Today, I sit down with Joe, who played offensive lineman in the NFL for eight seasons with both the Atlanta Falcons and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. In 2017, after realizing his heart and body just weren't in it anymore, he decided to walk away. This decision left him feeling a wide array of emotions, leaving the sport he spent most of his entire life playing. Everything from loneliness to excitement, and without really knowing what to do next, Joe decided to explore his freedom for the first time. Today, we explore what he learned in those moments in time, and how he brings what he learned through his football chapter into this next chapter of his life and of his growth. Before we hop into that conversation, though, I want to take a quick second to talk to you about More Than Movement. My signature group coaching program that's designed to bring your athletic mindset into all areas of your life. It's a 10-week deep dive into who you are and what you want in life. I've intentionally built this in the group setting to give you the support network and structure that sports allowed you. If you're interested in igniting your passion post-sport, head on over to our website, www.coreycamp.com backslash more dash than dash movement. Again, that's coreycamp.com slash more dash than dash movement and check out all the details. Come join other forever athletes just like you as we chase our passions and desires again. Now let's get it rolling here with Joe. Thank you for sitting down and joining me here on the Athletic Mindset Podcast. First and foremost, be remiss, you just had a child. How That's is right. he? How do you feel? Yeah, it's good, man. Had him, what is he? he's like two weeks old. Two weeks old. Yeah, it's a wild experience. I think the whole birthing process, there's just a lot to process that you don't really know until you go through it. And it's not, you know, like I was very, obviously it's a lot on the human body for the woman to go through the process of birthing, but just the recovery that it takes place. I mean, it's really phenomenal how the body can kind of tighten up, but just the physical trauma. And then there's the, the, the kind of mental and emotional stories, there's this grieving process of like an old way of being that kind of comes into play is similar to the transition out of sports. It's like, I'm never going to have my life without this kid. And although it's, it's really beautiful. It's one of the most beautiful experiences of my life. Like the freedom of being that kind of solo man in the van that I'm mean, traveling around is, is no longer. So I'm really stoked about the experience and the journey ahead and being a father. And I'm really just, yeah, so stoked about raising him. He's super healthy and He's just a really beautiful kid. And yeah, it's been, he's growing so fast. That's what's blowing my mind. Like the first couple of days, his like eyes were closed and he's like just so small and little. And then he's already like grown so much and his eyes are open and he's like kind of becoming more aware. It's really fascinating experience. Is it it too early to tell if he's going to also be a lineman or is jury still out there? Yeah, I think he's got like really big like hands and feet and I think he's going to be super tall. I think he's going to be like six, 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 seven. I just have this hunch. So maybe basketball. I don't know. I'm not going to force anything on him. There he's you go. I, was, I love just how woke you are as a parent already. It's like two weeks into his life. And you're, you're already I'm like, going to oh. be like, I'm going to cause trauma because I'm too woke. It's <laughs> about to say there's a balance there, right? Like having uh, yeah. too much hyper awareness around it. I want to touch on your own journey alluded to it there briefly you played eight years in the league which is no small feat that doesn't happen for a majority of people what was that experience like and how did you get started in football in the first place yeah it's fascinating like playing eight years in the NFL like when I was in it you know, obviously I know the numbers like less than one percent of 
you know, high school seniors make it to the NFL. And so the numbers are very much alive, but when you're in it, it's such a grind or was at least a grind for me, a majority of players. I never really gave myself an opportunity to like be amazed with where I was at until Mm -hmm. I was done playing. And like looking back on it now, it's like, oh, wow. Like I did something really, really rare, really special. But yeah, my journey started in high school. Uh, I'm not really sure why I went out for the football team. None of my friends wanted to go out. They were all like, you're crazy. We're going to get killed. Uh, My brother, who's two years older than me, went out for the freshman team when I was in seventh grade and he hated it. He'd come home crying every day. Like, I just don't want to be there, mom. Like he wanted to quit. And so I don't know why I went out there, but instantly fell in love. And, you know, it was about halfway through my sophomore year, I started getting attention from the coach and he was like, you have a chance to get a scholarship. You got really good feet, all this stuff and ended up, you know, getting some, you know, recruiting offers and stuff like that. And I'm going to a smaller school at UNLV uh, cause I wanted to play right away. Cause I loved the game so much. Mm. And I didn't like, I got an offer to one of the biggest schools that I got an offer to was Wisconsin, but I knew if I went there, I wouldn't probably play for two or three years. I'd have the red shirt and they just have a lot of really good linemen. And, and my vision at that point wasn't necessarily like, obviously every player wants to play in the NFL, but my vision wasn't necessarily like go to a school that breeds linemen to be a top lineman in the country and have a chance to make the NFL. Like I just wanted to play the game that I loved. And so I went to UNLV, a smaller school, ended up kind of splitting time my freshman year, true freshman year. I played my first game at 17. Yeah, ended up going into the draft process, knowing it was a pretty, pretty tough chance to get drafted going, coming from such a small school. But when I got the letter to the combine, that was like the moment I was like, oh, wow, I really have a chance. Like people actually noticed me and, you know, getting drafted in the fourth round was one of the best moments of my life. But that was really where the journey began, not where it ended. And uh, making it in the NFL. There's, I mean, I had such an up and down career. It was really fascinating. Um, lost my starting job five different times, blew my knee out one year, got cut twice, my contract not renewed another time. So yeah, I just, I could talk about that for a lot, a lot of lessons in there. Um, a lot of adversity, a lot of challenge, but it mm. really molded me and shaped me into who I am now. What would you say the biggest lesson was that you take away from all of those adversities and all of those situations that you faced? Yeah, man, it's like so many layers that build on each other. I think one of the biggest turning points of my life, and I think, you know, talking about, you know, self-awareness and, you know, this concept of waking up, I think any mm-hmm. big awakening, the first one that takes place for anybody is the awakening to the idea of the fact that, you know, I am responsible for my life. Like I am the creator of my own life. And that moment came my third year in the NFL. I started my second year at guard. The the starting center at that point was a 13 or 14 year vet. He was set to retire after that year. He didn't have a contract. And so I went into that off season, like, okay, they're going to move me over to center. I want to be the new starting center of the Falcons. I'm going to have my own 10, 15 year career. It's all gravy. Like I felt really good. And during like long story short, during that draft, I think it was 2012, we ended up with our first pick of the draft, drafting the best center, funny enough, out of the University of Wisconsin with our pick. And when I saw that come across the screen, it was like the rug was ripped out from under me. I was like, oh my gosh, it like felt so blindsided because I thought I was going to be the guy. And then they, I, I knew enough about the NFL at that point. When you draft a guy with your first pick, he's they're going to give him every opportunity to fail and he's going to be in there. And, and so I really went into this victim mindset from that point on. I was really just questioning like everything, like what, what am I here? Like and I started pointing the finger at people outside me, like the coach doesn't like me, the strength coach is an asshole, like all this stuff. And going into that that year, I 
I went from thinking I was going to be the starter to barely making the team and ended up spending the majority of the, the, the season on the sidelines as an inactive player. And, you know, I was in this depressive mindset. I remember going home and drinking a bunch and, and it, it started showing up with my play on the field at practice and the way I was showing up, my energy. And it all led to this point, I think it was like week 15 or 16. I'll never forget it was Christmas Eve. And we were actually like the number one, going to be the number one seed in the playoffs. Like we had a really good year, but I just felt like I wasn't a part of the team because I wasn't contributing. Mm -hmm. And the coaches called me up into the office and they said, Joe, we're going to release you. And in that moment, like I just was flooded with regret. It was like I got smacked with the reality pill of like, okay, this team is going to go on to the playoffs, be the number one seed, possibly win a Super Bowl. And I want to be on the street with the regret of squandering the dream that I'd worked so hard as a kid to get and accomplish because I was waiting for someone else to give me an opportunity. I was, I was bl blaming other people outside of myself for where I was at. And I never really took responsibility for that. And in that moment, it was just like, Whoa, like this huge wake up call. And I remember I kind of, you know, long story short there too. I like, I kind of understood the writing on the wall, like what was happening a couple of days before. And so when I went up there, I was prepared. Okay. This is, you know, I'm going to go down swinging kind of thing. Like I'm going to just speak my mind. And so I ended up telling them, you know, what was on my mind and there's a lot that goes into that, but they ended up 10 minutes later calling me back up into the office and they said, Joe, we listened, we like talked about what you said and you know, we're going to, we're going to keep you as the 53rd man on the roster, give you another opportunity to come back the next year. And in that moment, I was, I, I promised myself, there's going to be a time when I'm done playing football, but it's not going to be because I didn't give it everything I had. It's going to be because I decided to walk away. And that had a profound impact, not only on my career, I ended up playing another five years, started another 45 games after that. Although there's a lot of adversity that happened in that. I mean, I blew my knee out when I finally won the starting job, all that stuff. But that moment was such a huge lesson, not only in my football career, but my entire life, realizing that I have to do what I need to do to accomplish my dreams. Nobody else is going to give me the opportunity I'm waiting for. So yeah, don't wait for it. Go for it. So much to unpack there. And I'm <laughs> sure there's a zillion other lessons that you learned too, but I think that is a huge, huge lesson to learn and shifting out of that victim and shifting into being a victor of your life mm -hmm. and understanding that you do have this power. And it's really cool to see what you were able to do with it. And you mentioned you wanted to walk away from the, t from the game on your own terms. You're fortunate you were able to do that after eight seasons. What was that thought process like when that time came? Did you know, like, right away after the season, like, hey, that was it? Or what was that decision-making process looking like? Yeah, it was it was a slow build, I think, you know, and I might be different, but I think the majority of guys in the NFL, if you ask them in the middle of the season if they want to play next year or if they're thinking about retirement, they'll probably say yes. I, I might retire after because it's such a grueling season, like physically, mentally, emotionally. Like, I don't think that's what people realize. It is so hard physically as an athlete to go through an entire NFL season. It's long and the compound on your body each week, you just never fully get recovered. <clears throat> so I had it in my back of my mind, like, okay, once I make enough money and I become financially free, it's going to be a decision of, do I keep playing to make more money or do I walk away? And that decision started creeping up after my seventh year, but I had started the previous two years with Tampa and I was hitting free agency. And so I thought to myself, okay, I'm going to hit the free agent market. I might as well test the market. If I get paid 
you know, a starting center salary of six, $7 million a year. Like I'll play another couple of years. That's a lot of money. And so I went to test the free agent market and, you know, there's a whole story in there too, that actually I, I can trace it back to one play because my seventh year, about five games left, the team actually reached out to my agent and said, Hey, we want to talk contract extensions with Joe. And that was the first time in my career, seven years that a team actually was like, we want to extend him. We want him to be our guy. We want to invest in him. And that made me feel so good. And that following week, we played Sunday night football against uh, Dallas in Dallas. And there's one play when, you know, I, I played center, this guy, this nose tackle on a field blitz, crossed my, crossed my face, swiped my hand down and sack fumbled. Jameis Winston picked up the ball and scored a touchdown. And I had a really good game other than that. But that, that play, you know, it was, it was obviously everybody saw it. Everybody saw that was my fault. And it was just this like kind of acute lens on what I did. And, you know, funny enough, the team, you know, my agent reached out to him and was like, Hey, like, so it's continued contract talks. They're like, you know what? We're going to wait until after the season because we want Joe to focus. And I was like, okay, after the season, there was no, there was no offer. There was no talks. And so in that moment they had made their decision and there's a lot that goes into that, but I mean, that play, I could look back and cost me millions of dollars and there's a lot to unpack there as well. But I was like, you know, I'm going to test the free agent market. And if I don't get a certain dollar amount, then I'll just walk away now. I was okay with that after my seventh year. Ended up testing the market. Nobody really wanted me. And Tampa Bay ended up offering me like a minimum deal. And it actually wasn't enough money for me to play. And I told my agent that. I was like, it's not enough money. They're like, there's, he's like, there's no other deals out there. This is the only one. And he like thought I was bluffing. And I was like, it's, that's it. I'm okay with walking away. Like I'm totally uh, content with that. I've come to terms with it. And he's like, okay. And so he's like, well, I'll take the night to think about it. And then I guess the the team started printing the contract and one of the media people saw it. And so they, they Instagram or tweeted it out, like Joe Hawley resigns with the Bucks. And so the head coach, Dirk Cutter calls me. He's like, hey man, congrats. Like, I'm excited to have you back. And I was like, actually, it's not enough money. I need more money. He's like, oh, okay. And he's really cool. He was like, that's between you and the GM. Like, I hope it works out. And so I called my agent back. I'm like, hey, cat, cat's out of the bag. I just told the head coach it wasn't enough money. And he was like, all pissed at me. Like, why would you do that? I'm like. I'm not bluffing, dude. Like, go tell them to pay me more money or I'm going to walk away. It's not between me and going to another team. And I don't think there's a lot of players that really stand in that truth because they want to play so bad. Mm -hmm. And so they end up pulling the deal. Like, my agent calls me back and said, they pulled the deal. I was like, okay, I'm okay with that. And then about three hours later that night, I got a text from the, from the GM directly. And he's like, hey, can we talk? You know, I was like, hey, I'm kind of busy. I was actually having my fantasy baseball draft that night, <laughs> which is funny. Uh, so I was like, hey, I'm busy tonight, but I'll, I'll call you in the morning. And he's like, all right. So I ended up calling the GM directly in the morning and I straight up told him, I was like, it's not enough money. I was like, I bring way more value to this team. There's, you know, all these different reasons. And I basically had to stand up for myself. And it was a real like grown up conversation. The first time I really had to like sell myself and all the intangibles that I bring. Cause I'm an undersized guy, like on film, you can't see the value that I actually bring the team and the leadership quality. And even the stuff that I'm able to do on the field, as far as getting, picking up different blitzes and stuff like that stuff you can't see on paper. And so I had to explain that to him. So he was like, you know what, let me call the, the owner. And so he called the owner and actually got me more money and ended up signing back for a, a two-year deal. It was a, a, a one-year deal with a team option the second year. And so I ended up going back and playing. And that year, I realized the reason they didn't want to give me money is because they had made the decision to move the left guard over to center. And so they said it was an open competition, but in reality, I knew what that meant. I had been through it enough in my life. And they really just brought me back to kind of shape him and mold him as he stepped in because he was a younger guy. And I was more of like the mentor. And so that whole year, uh, once I lost that starting job for the fifth time in my career going into the eighth season, I'll never forget week one playing against the Chicago Bears 
opening kickoff. And I'm once again, you know, I talked about that year I was inactive on the sidelines. Like I wanted nothing more than to be playing and be contributing. But that last year, my eighth year, I was inactive on the sidelines again. And as the offense kind of took the field, I had this weird sensation of like, I'm kind of grateful I'm not out there. Like I'm, I'm a part of the team. I'm getting paid good money. I'm in my street clothes. I get to enjoy this experience on the sideline, but no longer do I feel the need and desire to compete in the way I did. And I knew in that moment, like this is going to be my last year playing. And I'm really grateful that I made that decision or had come to that realization before the season was over. Cause that whole year, knowing that in the back of my mind, I was just really present with all the, all the hard times, all the good times with like showing up early, being around the guys, being in the locker room. I just, I soaked up everything it was to be in the NFL because I was able to know that that was going to be my last year, which I think is a very rare thing for a lot of guys. Their careers are usually over before they want it to for a wide variety of reasons. And even, even though I did that, you know, two or three weeks after the season was over, it was like, whoa, it was like the finality of it really hit me. And there's, definitely a, a grieving process that needs to take place and it's it takes time I mean I'm still quite processing it you know yeah I think that's I mean that's huge is when we talk transition model to like out right so many people are like well when does it turn around for me like when is this over when am I going to feel and it's like it's just a journey it's there's mm -hmm. no final destination to it it's just continued growth along this journey what helped you kickstart your own journey though out of the league was it selling everything and choosing the van life for that few years yeah yeah i mean i think it it, it does seem like until you go through it and i think this is a big lesson i've learned too it's, it's not a yeah like the transition process is not like three months it's not six months it's not two years it's not this like this finite amount of time that once you get through it you're going to be good i think transition out of professional sports out of athletic athletics in period i think every athlete at some point goes through this but it's a lifelong journey and it's not about overcoming and transcending the transition into like what you are next it's integrating what mm. that process is like properly grieving it but integrating it back into who you are because it is such a big piece of of who we are it's a foundation of what we've learned and the mental toughness and discipline everything that comes along with being an athlete and the structure and the, the working hard and the vision and the dream and putting that into our lives now and focusing that energy on, on what's to come with that as a part of it, I think is really important. And for me, my journey went through a big, big transition, obviously. And it wasn't just football. You know, I, I was engaged at the time to a woman I thought I was going to marry. And, you know, we had our struggles. It was kind of a toxic relationship and it got to a point and this is just not her, but my parents as well. And my, my family and friends is, this is the thing that a lot of people don't talk about is the, the identity issue for a pro athlete. But then there's the identity issue of the people that are closest to them because they all went on that journey with me. And my fiance at the time was like, you know, she, she, I was like, Hey, I'm, this is gonna be my last year playing. I'm going to be done after this year. And I, there's a part of me that's really excited about that. Cause like I said, it's so hard. And she just was not supportive because she was like, well, what are we going to do about money? I was like, well, we got plenty of money. And they just like, didn't, she's like, well, it's just, they, they couldn't comprehend the fact that I was going to give away the opportunity to make millions of dollars and have this kind of fame and prestige, but they're not the ones that are in it. And same thing with my parents. Like it was just, to me, I was this football player son. And when that was taken away, it was like, didn't really feel supported in that decision. 
And mm-hmm. that challenged me in a lot of ways. It really isolated me even more so. But there was a part of me that that felt called to the next experience, the next journey, the unknown, like what else is out there that is different from this story that I've created for myself? Like, who am I on a deeper level? And so that journey and that unknown led me to make a decision to give away all my stuff to charity. I rescued a dog from the local shelter and I bought a van and I traveled the country for the better part of two years. And that trip completely changed my life in so many ways. You know, there's a lot that the the road has to offer. I think, you know, just learning to live in an alternative lifestyle, living like a minimalist lifestyle, you know, just kind of stripping away the old stories of who I was and who I thought I needed to be to, to find happiness and success. You know, I think I'm really grateful that I made a lot of money at a young age to realize that money is not the key to happiness. Yes, it provides security and it provides a lot of amazing experiences and it can ease a lot of stress, but it's really an internal journey because I still felt unsatisfied. I felt unhappy. And there's even times now when I like wake up in the morning and I'm questioning like, wait, what am I supposed to be doing? Like, what am I here? There's like some of the monotony of life. And it's, it's a constant questioning of where we're at in the moment and stripping away of the, the, the limiting beliefs that get in the way of, of feeling fulfilled and, and, and moving forward in that way. And so, yeah, it's been quite a journey, man. Still on it for sure. Yeah. It's a beautiful journey. And I think what I admire so much when I first was introduced to you and hearing your story and hearing it now again, in a little bit more detail, you talk about, yeah, it, it is this loss of identity and it takes a lot of courage to do what you did because the people around you, all of a sudden we're like, Joe, who the heck are you? Hmm. And you said, you know what? I want to lean further into this loneliness and further into finding myself by stripping away everything and getting Hmm. to that core. That's got to be so freeing Hmm. in a lot of ways. Yeah. I think freedom, freedom comes at a cost and it's, it's a cost of the old. Right. And I think a lot of people, you know, this, we talk about the transition out of sports, but everybody goes through big transitions in their lives, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's, you know, a relationship, moving cities, moving jobs, get leaving the house for the first time. Like it's, there's so, always an experience of stepping into the unknown. And for me doing that enough times, realizing that the universe rewards those courageous enough to step into the unknown and follow where their hearts are calling them. Because there's a reason that you know, there is a transition happening, whether, whether it feels forced or not, I think there's a bigger plan at play where then that's why I truly believe like if we're being called or pulled or forced into something new, like if we can learn to lean into that, it might be challenging at first, but Mm -hmm. you know, years down the line, you're going to look back on that time as one of the best moments of your life, because there's something beautiful about being in the unknown too. And like being on the road, like not having a routine and not really knowing what was up ahead and just constantly going into new experiences, it creates this acute presence of the, of the moment you're in. And when you're, when you're living in that presence, it's like life is so magical. Synchronicities happen. You're open to the experiences that the world has for you, not something you're planning out. And to experience that is just, is so beautiful. And then you know, I'm, I'm grounded now in Austin. I got a place here and, and we had the, the baby here and we're actually planning on hitting the road in a month. And I'm really excited about that experience. But, you know, even I've, I've found that, you know, getting grounded in a house and then starting a routine, how quickly I just start, the days start flying by because I'm in this routine 
and I'm not, I'm not very present because there's always stuff to do and, you know, boxes to check off and errands to run and, you know, work to do with the business. And it's just, it, it starts getting like really fast back in the rat race. And so it's like constantly for me, I think the biggest thing is movement. And I found like, if I would have stayed in Tampa in that house, I would have, and you know, the next year, all of my teammates went back to play and I was still in that house. I would have just been sitting in that stagnant energy questioning, like, did I make the right decision? Feeling even more isolated and alone. And I just knew, I was like, I don't, I don't know where I'm going, but I have to go somewhere. I have to just get moving. And I think that's a big thing. It's big takeaway that people can take is like, if you feel stuck or you're in a big transition, go move, go experience, just get going. And life will kind of guide you to where you're supposed to be. Yeah. And I, I love what you said there too, of like being open to these experiences. And like, I am a routine dude. Like I love my morning routines, my nighttime routines, but what I've found to be super impactful in my own life. And it sounds like you learned on the road too, is actually just to leave room every day now to just be and to mm. stop worrying about checking off this to-do list. And it's not a matter of like, I've lost my drive. What I've found through that is now my drive is actually tenfold when mm. I need to be locked in and in working because I'm allowing my, my heart to also experience like what I want to on a mm. day-to-day basis. Yeah. There's something powerful around the idea of spontaneity, right? Mm -hmm. Even like science, you know, looking at the physiological brain, like when we are in too into routine, it creates these neural pathways and neural connections. And they're like grooves. And the more we do the same thing, we create these habits and these grooves get deeper and deeper, and they're harder to break. And that's why people wake up one day and they're like, wait, where did the last 10 years go? Mm -hmm. Like, I've just been going through, you might be getting a lot done, but are you really living in the present? And so spontaneity has this really beautiful thing. If you go experience something novel each day, you're actually breaking those neural pathways physiologically in your brain to create new experiences, which actually opens up more opportunity for that flow state, creative, you know, downloads and being connected to the present moment. And so that is a huge piece of actually being more productive is finding that space. Yeah, absolutely. I, I always equate those neural pathways to like a highway and like the longer you do them, the more they start to look like the highways out here in LA, but <laughs> like if you're able concrete to, things. yeah, like if you're able to shake things up more consistently, you're able to do a little bit of road work on your own brain and rewire mm. the way you're thinking. And I mean, you and I both know like that's the secret in just mm. a more fulfilled life. What's something that you turn to now to, to shake things up? Is it going on the road? Is your like go-to? Yeah, I'm really excited about getting on the road. I mean, you know, having the baby, you know, my wife's obviously recovering from the physical part. I mean, it's only been a couple of weeks. So we've been really grounded in here in the last couple of months of pregnancy. So I do feel we've talked about this too. And I'm really grateful that my wife is an adventure wanderlust mm -hmm. spirit as well. So she's feeling it too. But it's, yeah, just like this stagnancy. And I, feel, I get a lot of creativity, like we talked about when I'm on the road, constantly moving, like I just feel so creative, I feel more present, I feel like the days are longer, I feel like I'm experiencing more, it's just more enjoyable. And yeah, it's, it's challenging. And I think, you know, obviously, there's always this, this grass is greener, too. Like when I'm on the road, sometimes it gets exhausting, and I'm worn out, and I want to be grounded in my own comfortable bed in my home. And so it's finding that balance. So what we do and, you know, what we've done, you know, during early parts of the pregnancy and stuff, it was like every 
couple months, we'll hit the road. She's got a place up in Colorado. So we'll, we'll hop in the van. We're actually getting a different rig. Now we got an F three fifty with a camper shell on it, which is pretty mm-hmm. cool. A little more redneck, but it's actually really stoked. I'm stoked about it. Cause, um, being able to bring the baby with us and stuff, but yeah, we we're going to hit the road up to Colorado, spend the summer up there and do some traveling in Montana and Wyoming and some of the beautiful parts of the country. But yeah, I mean, I think when I'm when I'm in grounded in my house, I think getting out in nature, there's some like little hikes around the city, which are really nice. Um, just going on something as easy as a walk. Mm-hmm. Like if I'm feeling like, oh, like oh, what? I need to get out of here. Like I just go walk most times with my with my shoes off, bare feet in the ground, shirt off, let the sun shine on my skin, get some vitamin D. You know, and it's funny, I, I find it fascinating. Like, I always feel like if I have extra time, I need to learn something like these mm-hmm. high achievers, like there's so much information out there. It's like, I need to constantly be learning. But even that is a infinite path to nowhere. And so I try to, you know, take some walks with without even my phone and just like, you know, look around, really slow down, you know, try and walk slower than I normally do. You know, just simple things like that really make a difference all the Gen Z listeners out there just like had a holy shit moment. Like you go for walks without your phone. Like how do you leave the house without that thing? I mean, if you have resistance to that, it's like that is a great place to start with the self-awareness journey. Like what's coming up for you? Like leave it out and go outside for 20 minutes and just notice what comes up. Like don't judge it, but be like, wow, that is really fascinating. Yeah. I And that's one of the topics I actually really coach on to people I'm working with is understanding like where resistance is in your life and oftentimes you're probably familiar with this like wherever that resistance is it's probably the thing that's going to be moving like that would move you forward the most mm, in where resistance is the to, way you know what i mean exactly yeah. exactly where where are you feeling some resistance right now i know it sounds like you're in a good spot yeah i mean i'm constantly facing resistance I think, you know, the entrepreneurial journey, I'm sure you're familiar with this is, is it's, to me, it's a self growth journey, mm-hmm. right? Like, I think, continuing to evolve and like, you know, the business is just a direct reflection and mirror of who I am and what I think, right? And my limiting beliefs and my stories. And, you know, right now, the having a new baby, I had a lot and I took two weeks off from work. I kind of cleared my schedule, very minimal calls and everything, which I'm really grateful for. And I did, but it kind of got me out of the flow of like, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm building, I'm building this community and this business and it's very much in like startup mode and kind of grind mode and taking that time off and, you know, having the baby and and realizing like my priorities, like, okay, I kind of just want to like not do anything, but just raise this kid. And it's hard because I mean, I'm financially secure. Like I have enough money to do that. And I'm very purpose driven and, you know, want to be of service in the community I'm building is called the heart collective. And it's a, it's a community built exclusively for former male professional athletes to help in the transition process and kind of help facilitate the conversations and support that I kind of wish I had when I went through it. Mm-hmm. And that's where that vision kind of came. And so there's, there's a lot of impact I want to have with that. And then just questioning like, wait, like, do I need to do this? What am I doing it for? Like, is my, is my why right? And is it taking away from raising my kid? And it's kind of rebalancing all of that. So there's this constant resistance. And then I think a big thing that is really big in my life right now is writing my book. It's such a daunting task. And, you know, it's, it's, it's really fascinating. Like the story of like having it, it's always there. And it's not it's a marathon, not a sprint. And so I wake up each day, like, should I write today? And I find myself like, I'd rather read a book. I'd rather go on a walk. I'd rather do all this stuff than to sit down and, and actually write. 
so that is a, a huge resistance I'm facing right now. And uh, yeah, just going to continue to work through it. Yeah. I mean, those are all tough ones, I think, especially the balance around, okay, do I go into startup mode and really like boots on the ground, build this business up? And it's ironic because like the business you're building, the community you're building probably preaches like listening to that intuition, listening to your heart and like your heart's just telling you right now, like, it's not the time for like all in on this thing. Yeah. <laughs> There's a funny story there too. Cause it's, it is that balance. Right. And like understanding this is where self-awareness is so important and going, what, what is the rush? Mm-hmm. What am I trying to build this thing fat? Like, cause I, like there is a, a part of my ego that wants to to be important, wants to build this thing that's really successful and big and knowing that there, there is no rush to that. And so like continuing to question that and being able to take my time and, and there's this trust aspect too. And it's fascinating. Like just, uh, just a few weeks ago, I did get into that kind of that scarcity mindset of, mm-hmm. you know, I have a couple employees, I have a monthly burn rate. It's burning a lot of cash right now. Cause I don't, you know, I don't really have a lot of members just yet. And so I got to get this membership up to this certain level in order to kind of just not just to break even. And I started looking at the numbers and it's like, okay. And I started talking to guys that were interested in the community and that energy was coming out in the conversations I was having like very unconsciously because I just did some deep reflection. Like I had five guys that were interested and they said they'd join, but they weren't kind of converting into the community. And I was like, what is going on? And so I did a self-reflection. I was like, what's the energy I'm bringing into these conversations? And I realized I have the scarcity energy of trying to sell them and get them in. And you can't really sell community, right? It's this, mm-hmm. this thing that that's to organically build. So there's this weird nuanced balance with it, especially working with former athletes. And so I kind of went, took a step back and I did this exercise, which I think is really powerful for any entrepreneurs, you know, and anybody kind of making a big transition really. It's like, what's the worst thing that could happen? And, you know, the worst thing for me was no members join. Uh, I sink a couple hundred grand into this thing. And it fails and I learn a ton. Um, and a good thing that really helped with that is I did some market research and I actually talked to a few of my members and shared with them openly where I was at. And they were like, you know, if, if you didn't impact, if you don't impact hundreds of people, thousands of people like you want, you at least impacted us. And when they said mm-hmm. that, I was like, oh shit, like that's, I'm getting away from my why. I'm focused on like the business and trying to get money and make it sustainable. And I'm not focused on why am I really doing this is to impact these guys. And so it allowed me the opportunity to kind of take a step back and realize, come back to my why I was doing it and releasing that and going through that worst case scenario and being okay with it. And it's fascinating since I've did that exercise and did that self-reflection, um, I've gotten three new members and like another four guys that are in the pipeline and they're kind of just finding me. And so mm-hmm. it's just a really beautiful lesson that the energy we bring to things is so important. It's so funny how that that shifts and all of a sudden now you're attracting rather than chasing. Mm. And I know like, I mean, I've had one of my roommates is in uh, heavy sales and he's always like, you got to go out and go. Do no, it. So, so, so. And I'm like, I'm so much more of your way of thinking of like, well, I got to water what's in front of me. I have this garden right now of current clients and I need to pour everything I got into these guys. And if I do that, those results will speak for itself and more people will be drawn to it. And Mm. it's not, it's tough because yeah, like the ego wants to be stroked. It wants, Mm -hmm. you want to grow. Like I would love a hundred grand paycheck tomorrow. That would Mm. be fantastic, but I would feel way better about what I built and not lose sight of what I'm trying to build in the process by getting that hundred grand tomorrow. If it spread out over, a year, mm. two years, three years, whatever it takes to 
Yeah. No, and if you stay focused, number, right? You know, if you stay focused, that stuff will come. Mm-hmm. But when you lose your why and you focus on that, I mean, it's just not going to be sustainable. But if you build the foundation of why you're doing it, like all of the the rewards and energy, because that's all money really is, is an energy exchange. So if you're pouring your energy into something with a heart of service to really have impact, like the law of the universe is that that energy will come back and reward you. But I think a lot of people get to a point where it's like, they're kind of where we're at, where it's like that, that, oh man, I gotta, I gotta get there. And they just don't trust the process. And then they, they, they quit. Right. And that's what real failure is in the entrepreneurial journey is the people that stop. I think if you keep going with the focus and continue to evolve and learn and learn like because failures are going to happen. But if you learn from the failures, all they are lessons and equals growth. The real failure is if you quit and stop. And there's, there's obviously open space for that too. If you go to an idea and it's just not serving you anymore, but yeah, yeah, man. Yeah. And I think all that feedback that you get from those quote unquote failures is neutral. I think all feedback is neutral and Hmm. we just put our own perspective and spin on it and take it as we like, you know what I mean? Hmm. But yeah, I think it's, that's a key takeaway for a lot of entrepreneurs out there is understanding it's neither good or bad. Like there's no morality to this actual thing that happened to me. It's just, it just happened to me. So what's next? Do you find, I'd be curious from like your football journey and career, do you find that you're better able to like snap out of it and get to that next play mentality or the next endeavor because of your experience in the sport or? 100%. Yeah, I think, you know, that's, and that's the cool thing about working with, with former athletes and why I'm really excited about the community that I'm building is and supporting, you know, guys that are really elite, you know, reaching the pinnacle of what they've, you know, dreamt of doing. It was one of the most difficult things in the world to accomplish. And then a lot of them go and they, they like lose themselves and they don't realize like the energy it takes and the lessons that you've learned from there can apply. And you're just so far ahead of the curve as far as like that mindset and being able to, I think the biggest thing is handling failure right? Like you, you show up on game day and you see Julio Jones make this incredible catch in the corner of the end zone or whatever it is. It's like the reason it got to that point is because of all the micro failures that happened, not only throughout that week during practice, but all the way through his entire career that got him to make that an amazing play. Right. Mm-hmm. And being able to handle those failures challenged me in a lot of ways. Cause like I felt like I had put so much of my self-worth into my performance on the field. And that's a whole nother thing I've had to work through, but it, it forced me to learn from my failures. And I either had to figure out how to be better or I wasn't going to accomplish what I wanted. And I mean, I've gone through that probably more than people go through in lifetimes, just in, just in the process of one single game. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the acute pressure that's on me, like playing, like I talk about that one play, got my hand chopped down, stack fumble on national television, Sunday Night Football. Everybody in the country was watching that game that was watching football that night, knew. And then the, the commentators talked like, you know, that's the thing about being an offensive lineman is that you only get talked about when you do something bad. And so everybody knew, like, I screwed that up. Like everybody on Twitter, you know, you can search your name talking about it and being able to like handle and process those moments um, really, yeah, it's, it's really acute and pressure. And so, you know, bringing that into what I'm working on now and, and the real world, I think it's, it's definitely allowed me a little bit more ease with handling that kind of stuff. Yeah. How'd you get okay with becoming a beginner again? Because I think that's where a lot of that resistance lies for, especially coming out of the pro level of things 
you're at the pinnacle, like you said, like you're at the pinnacle of your sport. All eyes in the world are on you. And all of a sudden they're not. And whatever that next endeavor is like odds are it's going to take some time that you're a beginner there. And it's got a scale to where you probably feel like, okay, I'm comfortable where I'm at again. How'd you get okay with that beginner process and like excited about it? Yeah, I think that's a huge challenge for a lot of former pro athletes is, is there's, there's this huge ego death that needs to happen. Mm. And, you know, for me, it was this deep self healing spiritual journey that I went on and, you know, it's falling in love with the process and, you know, not comparing myself to others. And, you know, I think a part of it too is like leaning on the fact that I don't really have anything to prove to mm. others. Like I, I mean, I, I tried to prove myself so long playing football. Like that was one of my stories. That's what got me to be so successful. And I think a lot of guys that make it to that level, there's some deep unconscious story that they need to prove something to somebody, probably mostly to their, their parents or their father. I know that was the, definitely the case for me unconsciously. And until I was able to, to shine the light of awareness on that story, um, I didn't really understand it. And now, um, and it's a continued process and it's a continued unfolding, but um, filling that void that I was trying to fill with my performance on the field and, and receiving love and external validation and going on this journey to love myself fully um, and knowing that I'm, I'm worthy and capable and, you know, coming back to presence and enjoying the experience as it unfolds. And, you know, there's, you know, not feeling lack, like there's something I need to make me feel happy, but feeling happy internally and doing it. And it creates this, this, um, this idea that life is just a game. And when you're, when you're full and you love yourself and you're present and you're enjoying the experience, I think that's why gratitude is so important. It's, I think, say the secret sauce of the universe. If you can be grateful, mm -hmm. it just drops you into the present moment because you don't really need anything. It, it creates this, the loss of lack, like I am full and complete. I'm grateful for what I have. And it creates this, this openness to, to the experience of life as a game. And then, you know, when you have that perspective, you can go play the game without being attached to the outcome and being open to going for it and going and leaning into your resistances and, and going towards the thing that scare you the most, knowing that I'm going to go through there. It's going to be scary as hell. And I might, fail and it might challenge me in different ways but i'm going to learn a ton about myself and i think that's where life is meant to be lived mm. yeah i think that's where it begins is once mm. you start to to lean into that stuff and i always equate the limiting beliefs to like a weight holding your your ankle down as you're trying to go for a vertical jump or you know just playing super tight if your muscles are in spasm and you're playing on game day in that scenario versus just free flowing, feeling loose. Like you and I both know what kind of performance you would prefer, but from a subconscious perspective, a lot of us are holding on to those things that are keeping us in constant tension, keeping us in with an ankle weight around us and preventing us from making that jump. That's what yeah. I love what you're doing here with the heart collective. I want to talk a little bit more about the work that gets done there and shine a light on the work that you're doing because I think it's phenomenal. What's that experience been? I know it's a newer one for you, but what's that yeah. taught you so far and 
what kind of oh, people man. are you serving? I know you said former pro male athletes. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I went, the, the origin story is, you know, I obviously hit the road and that experience was really profound and transformative. And it was a heightened experience. It was really nice. And part of it was like kind of running away from, from the, the NFL, you know, like mm-hmm. I, I, it was instead of properly grieving it, I kind of like just, it was almost like distracting myself with this experience. And after being on the road for like a year, year and a half, I started, you know, that, that initial experience started wearing off and it taught me a lot, but it was like, okay, what am I supposed to do now? Like, what's my purpose? What am I, like, how can I be of service to the world? And what am I here to do? And the idea popped up that, you know, you need to go serve former athletes because if you realize how challenging it was for you internally and emotionally, mentally, and you were actually looking to leave the game and you were actually quite excited about leaving the game, imagine how hard it is for some guys that, you know, they, they blow their knee out and they never play again, or they get cut and never play again, or they just, they have nothing else for them. Like I have friends that play 11, 12, 13 years, and they're just grinding their bodies into the dirt because there's, they, they don't want to let go of it. And they got plenty of money, but it's like, why are you still playing? It's because, I mean, there's an aspect of loving the game, but there's also like not wanting to let go. And so the idea to build community, um, I thought was a huge need for that, like the support that community provides. I joined a couple different communities myself um, of like-minded people, some different masterminds, and just really helped me dive into myself. And it's like, I want to bring this kind of work into um, the former athlete space. And when I first had that idea, like, filled with fear like viscerally like in my heart like i i don't want to do that like that's that's scary as hell and you know it's funny because i think my kind of big lesson in this lifetime has been leadership and how to step up as a leader and i just find it fascinating reflecting back on my whole journey when i played football i played for 16 years and there were so many times throughout my career you know, I was the kind of guy that led by example. I was a good leader, but I always played small. There was always these chances when I intuitively was was called to to step up in like a leadership capacity, like whether it's giving a, a speech or, you know, telling a guy, you know, like, hey, let's like focus on this so that we can win some games. And there's just so many opportunities that nobody else knew, but I knew that that intuitive it came up, but I, I crumbled and kind of played small with the fear. I didn't, I didn't step into it and lean into it. Mm. And so I think there was this unconscious story that when I finally left the game of football, there was a, there was an aspect of me that was kind of running away from that because I realized I never reached my full potential there. Um, although I reached the pinnacle of what most people would call successful. Like I knew within myself, I didn't really reach my fullest potential. I played small in a lot of ways. And it was fascinating that two years later, you know, the universe is like, Hey, like, by the way, you haven't learned this lesson yet. And it just it started calling me back to learn that lesson. And, you know, through that, that journey, the, the, the whole, that was probably 18 months ago when I had first had the idea and that whole first year before I launched uh, last November. Um, and as I continued to, to step into these fears, but I've grown so much through it is a lot of that, that inner work I did was working through that fear of stepping up as a leader. And there's a lot of different layers to that. Like what would it look like to come back as this new kind of healed man that's done all this deep work and back into a community of people that I know that knew me as this different kind of like Mm -hmm. guy in in the locker room. Right. And so it challenged me in a lot of ways and um, really inspired me, but it's, it's definitely a, a path that I'm being called to that's something bigger than me. I feel like it wants to be created through me. And so there's this aspect of surrendering in. And I think 
you know, the idea of surrender, I think it's not a, it's not a passive act. Like it, it comes across, right. It's, I think it's one of the most courageous acts that anybody can, can do because to truly surrender is to listen to what is coming through you and what your heart is calling you to do. And a lot of times, more times than not, it's calling you towards the thing that scares you the most and where the most resistance is. That's what we talk about the resistance is the way. And mm -hmm. so I feel, I'm feeling called to do this thing, but there's so much resistance there. So it's easy for me to, uh, I don't want to do that. And that's when, you know, I could start distracting myself because that calling's still going to be there. So I start distracting myself. I start doing other things, drinking, numbing out. But no, I lean into it and I uncover those fears and I continue to step into them. And just little by little, I've just grown so much now that, you know, launching the community and seeing the impact that it has and, you know, just continuing to push myself outside my comfort zone. Um, I don't know if that ever ends. I think that's like the, the infinite onion of uncovering and unfolding. Um, but it is a beautiful journey and I'm really stoked about what I am being called to do. And I'm really proud of myself for how far I've come and, and the work that I am doing. Yeah. And I'm, I'm thankful that you're leaning into it and that you're, you're choosing to play big here because I think it is a space that there is so much need out there for. It's not an easy transition and there's so much more to it than like just filling your time again. And mm -hmm. I think that's what from the outside, non-athletes looking in, they're like, they don't get it. So mm -hmm. to the extent that, you know, someone that, that played it does. Um, I feel like we could talk about this all day. Want to definitely be respectful of your time. I got five, I call them the fast five. So five, one question or one sentence or one word answers. Okay. Kind of rapid fire. Get the audience to know you a little bit here. Okay. I know you got a bunch I'm of podcasts, best. you know or that yeah. you host yourself, but what's your go-to podcast that you're jamming out to that no one's heard of? That no one's heard of. Oh, um, I honestly don't listen to that many podcasts anymore um, because I'm into this creative space, but I have been getting into crypto podcasts to learn about crypto. I think any everybody, there's like a crypto gold rush happening. And I think um, it'd be very wise to start investing in that if you want to make some money. There you go. <laughs> some financial advice here too yeah. <laughs> are you big on the nfts are you big into that space um, doing some altcoin stuff i'm just watching some youtubers on the on the crypto space and i just you know there's there's this another bull market coming and obviously there's a, a lot of learning that goes into that don't just go start buying stuff but i think if you go search the the smart top 10 podcasters on bitcoin and altcoins and crypto and mm -hmm. learn for yourself um you know i think there's a, a lot of opportunity there I love that. Number two, I'm seeing a ton of books behind you. What's your favorite book in the past year that you've read? Oh, I've read so many. Um, the most recent one I read, um, the Charles Eisenstein, The More Beautiful World Our Hearts Know Is Possible. Really beautiful. I think it, it talks about the story of we're like going through this collective transition from one old world view to a new world view from a world and story of separation into a story of unity. And you look around and all the work, you know, that we're involved in and all the people that we're connected with. And I just, it is a lot of optimism for me for the way the world's headed. And in that transition, which is where we're at, there might be some chaotic times because changing stories is always tough. But then I think that's why people like us are being called to help navigate people into this new, new narrative. I love it. I haven't read that one. So I'll have to add it to the list. My that's list good. keeps growing these episodes that I do. <laughs> Good books are amazing. Reading um, will change your life. It, absolutely. I'm an avid reader and I stand by that. Number three is what's a quote you live by? 
Um, this is one I, I really adopted when I first hit the road and it's kind of sums up everything we talked about in this podcast. Really. It's on the other side of fear lies freedom. That's really funny. sitting next to me. I haven't started yet, but I have courage by Osho, the joy of living dangerously. And mm. that just title draws me to it. And that quote just reminded me of it. I'm looking off to the side here and like, I need to pick that book up and start pick it, it up. There it is. Um, number four, one thing you can't live without. Yeah. I told my wife this actually last week. Um, if I was stuck on a, uh, a stranded on a desert Island, what's the item I would bring? And it's my spiked foam roller. <laughs> I know, I know that's like the most strange thing ever, but I roll out every day because my body's in so much pain playing football and, I don't think there's anything better than just like working that fascia and rolling out even just for 20 minutes. Like change, it changes my entire mood after mm -hmm. I get done rolling out and I just, I use it more than anything else. Yeah. I mean, there's a reason I focus on physical identity and life for sport. If you feel good again, like the quality of the rest of your day. That's it. Uh, all starts with changes. physical. Absolutely. Last one here. Number five, what's your one word focus at this point in time? One word focus. One word focus. My one word that I chose for 2021 is uh, embody. I think there's a lot of, uh, you know, there's nothing, there's nothing new out there. Like all these books, you know, it's even, you know, part of the story of me going into the work that I'm doing. It's like, there's nothing that we don't know. Like there's no secrets out there. Like if you want to go learn something, it's, it's available to you. And all these books are pretty much saying the same thing just from a different lens, but it's how do you embody it? How do you really make the changes that you want to see in your life? And that's where it takes discipline and self-love and, and showing up for yourself and not just playing small, but stepping into it. Absolutely love that. I think there is an abundance of information out there, but there's a scarcity in the implementation of, mm, of that information. That's where real change happens. Well, Joe, mm. one, I want to just acknowledge you for your time, your awareness, and just being an all around awesome human being. I've really enjoyed this conversation. I'd be remiss. I'm wearing my Delaware gear. I went to Delaware. Gino Grudkowski says hi. Uh, mm. I think you guys played together. Yeah, my man. Times. That's what's up. Yeah, tell me what's up. <laughs> so I told him I'd give you, you a shout and let him know. Um, yeah, where can those guys, anyone listening in, find more of you, your podcasts, all that? Where is it located? Yeah. Thank you, man. Um, I really appreciate you having me, man. Really, really great conversation. Um, I got quite a bit. So my personal stuff is joe-holly, H-A-W-L-E-Y.com is my website. You can follow me on Instagram at joe.holly. Um, if you're interested in, in the Heart Collective, it's theheartcollective.com. That's H-A-R-T. Um, and we're actually working on a new kind of uh, strategy and building a, a library of courses out on there. Um, so if you're interested in that and you're not a former athlete, you can still kind of follow along. And then my podcast, I got a couple of them. I got Quantum Coffee, which is you know one of my favorites. Um, really love talking about the unanswerable questions of the universe and spirituality and God and reality and quantum physics, just all the crazy questions of, about what this existence is. Um, so if you're interested in that, go check that out. And then um, the one that is focused on uh, the transition in former athletes is called Life Beyond the Game. Uh, definitely go check that out. I've had some pretty cool guests. I just had Joe Thomas on, who's one of the best offensive tackles to ever play the game. Um, so yeah, and I'd love to hear from any of your listeners. Um, you know, if you if you enjoy this podcast, definitely reach out to me. Appreciate you taking the time to listen today. I love Joe's just outlook on life and being a forever student of the game. That's something we can all benefit from adopting. Never stop learning. 
Share this episode with a friend, a family member, or teammate who could benefit from hearing Joe's story and perspective. And remember, if you can change your mindset, you can change your life. One thought followed by one action at a time. I will see you all on Monday.